We could quit right there. Wow. I don't know about you, but I've already been worshiping. Thank you, Rhonda. God's grace still amazes me. And I hope God's grace still amazes you. Hmm. We'll be in Revelation again as we continue on in our end time studies, if you would. Uh, I hope you're enjoying this time. I hope that it's speaking to you. I hope you know, hear me, that you hear what God's Word has to say about, about this time. Okay? <clears throat> Two weeks ago, we looked at the judgment seat of Christ. And we talked about that was a time for believers and believers only. And the judgment seat of Christ will come right after the rapture when all born-again believers are snatched up to meet the Lord in the air. And at that point, we all will stand before Jesus. And at that point, He will judge the works that we have done. We will not be judged because of our sins. Christ took care of that on the cross. But we'll be rewarded or not rewarded for the, for the good that we have done in Jesus' name. And then last week we talked about the great white throne judgment. And that judgment is reserved only for the unbelievers. Only for the unredeemed. Only for those who are pretenders and wannabes. And one day the Bible says those folks will stand before Jesus. And they will give account of their deeds also. And every person that stands before Jesus at the great white throne judgment, the Bible tells us, have been condemned for eternity. They will be separated from holy God for eternity times eternity, forever times forever. And we said how awful that will be. And we should take those two messages and, and, and we just can't digest that and put it into our minds. We have to be able to take that what we know and go tell somebody else. The good news. We have to be a people that warn other people that if they don't get redeemed, if they don't get saved, if they don't accept Christ as their Savior, their eternity is separation from Holy God forever and forever. And you might say, well, I, I just don't believe that. I, just, I don't believe that. Well, that's fine. But I'm just telling you what God's Word says. You can choose to believe his word or not. It doesn't make any difference what I think and what you think. What does God's word say? And that's what his word is going to tell us. Today we're going to look at another very interesting topic called uh, the tribulation. But the title of the message is, is this. It is the grace of the tribulation. And I think every time that you hear that word tribulation, I don't know about you, but but, but your mind automatically, I think, goes back to what you kind of know about the tribulation, about how horrific that time will be. And we're going to look at some of that today. But that's not going to be all the message. The first part of the message is, yeah, we're going to talk about as God rains down his wrath upon people and upon this earth. But we're not going to leave the message there. We're going to, we're going to take the message further than, than all the, the ugh of the tribulation. And we're going to look at the grace of God. We're going to see the character of God. 
Because believe it or not, even though times will be so awful, God is still in control, and God is still is extending grace to the people that do not deserve it. Unbelievable. So we're going to look at that today, and so we'll be in, we're going to start in Revelation 6, and I really hope that you will follow along in your Bible, because as we look at this stuff, I, I don't want you to just believe it because I say it, okay? I want you to believe it because it's in God's Word. Okay, there can be a difference. I hope there's not. I pray there's not. But I want you to see what his word says. So just don't take my word for it. Okay, or probably any other preachers too. The tribulation takes place right after the rapture. Believers have all been snatched up. There's no longer at the beginning of the tribulation. No believers, no Christian believers are alive at that point. Okay, okay. But there will be. There will be. The Bible says we don't know when the rapture is going to happen, when tribulation is going to happen. Uh, we have the rapture. We've gone out. Uh, the Bible doesn't say tribulation will start that day or that month or that year. We don't know when, the, when it will happen. And I hope none of us are around to see that. But if we are, uh, we will know the tribulation starts when the Antichrist makes a peace agreement with Israel. Securing peace for Israel for three and a half years. When that happens, okay, when that happens, Antichrist, Israel, peace agreement, tribulation has now begun. Okay? Let's look at quickly, I want to look quickly at the judgments that are coming down during that awful, awful time. In Revelation 6, let's look at this. It talks about the first seven seals, judgments from God. And you've heard of the, the four horsemen that are coming. In Revelation 6, we read about those four horsemen. And we won't spend much time on it, but I want you to see who they are. In, in, in verse 1 of chapter 6, we see someone riding a white horse. That is the Antichrist. We read that the second seal is one riding a red horse. That is a symbolic word for war is coming during tribulation time. We see a black horse in verse 5, and that is famine, where famine will en envelop all of the world. And if you want to buy a loaf of bread, it will take you a denarius. And a de denarius is what you make in your wages for one day. It's one day's wages. You imagine a loaf of bread costing that much. That's what it's going to be in the great tribulation. We see in verse 7 the ashen horse, and that is a picture of death. Okay? It talks about death and Hades, and, and this death, one-fourth of all the earth will be killed during this time. One-fourth of all the earth. If there's eight billion people when, when the tribulation starts, there is now six billion because a fourth of them will be killed during this period of time. The fifth, the fifth seal that we see there is the, the seal of the martyrs. And we'll get more into this later, but uh, tribulation starts. There's no Christians. Once the tribulation starts, there will be Christians. We'll speak on that in just a minute. But they will all be martyred. They will all lose their life during this terrible, terrible time. So the fifth seal is the, the, the martyrdom, if you will, of, of the believers. The sixth seal, beginning in verse 12, talks about huge catastrophes that's going to take place on all this earth. We read in verse 12 a great earthquake. And we read about the damage of the earthquake. You know what that is. And this is not just an earthquake. This is a great earthquake. When the earth shakes, 
And things begin to happen. The Bible talks about in that same verse of verse 12 that the sun will become black as a sackcloth. The moon will be like blood, it says. In verse 13, stars will fall from the sky to the earth, it says. To the earth. Not going to miss us, I guess. Uh, The sky will part in verse 14. Every mountain will be moved. Every island will be moved. Now just think about that statement. Every mountain will be moved. Every island will be moved from their place to a different place during the tribulation time. What a great chaos and catastrophe that, that, that will be. Well, we read in, in 16 and, uh, that, believe it or not, folks that are alive when these seals, judgments coming, they know where they're coming from. Did you know that? They will absolutely know where they're coming from. You read in verse 16 and 17, and, and as this is all going down and all this, this uh going on in verse 16, and they said, they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. You see, those who are in the tribulation, they know what's happening. And they know why it's happening. He said, protect us from his presence, from who he sits on the throne, that is Jesus, and the wrath of the land. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? It's going to be a very difficult, hard time when, when God pours out his wrath in the first seven seals on, on, on the people of this old world. And they will know. Can you imagine? I, and I got to think about this. You know, during the rapture, after the rapture, when millions of folks are gone, disappeared, poof, ah, out of here, that those that are left behind, they're going to wonder what happened. And they're going to start putting two and two together. And they'll go, let's see, that was, yeah, he was, a, he, was a, he was one of those Christian folks that we made fun of. Yeah, he was one of those, yeah, she was one of those, she was one of, the, and they begin to see that the common denominator, every person that is snatched up at the rapture, who's no longer here on this earth, had one common denominator, and that was they were believers in Jesus Christ. And the world will begin to look at that, and they will see the catastrophes that are happening and they'll go, yeah, hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. They will know exactly what's happening to them. The second uh, set of judgments, if you will, as we move on real quickly, is in 8 and 9. And these are the trumpet judgments. These are the trumpet judgments. It's going to be really weird. Because it says in there that one-third of the sun and one-third of the moon and one-third of the stars will be blackened where it no longer gives the light that we used to have and, and it'll be a little bit darker and, it, and the light won't shine as much. That's going to be one of the judgments he brings upon us. We, we read in, in 8 verses uh, verse 7. He says, there's fire and hail mixed with blood is thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth is burned up. The trees and the grass, a third of that will be burned up. Then we read in verse 8 that a great mountain burning with fire, maybe a volcano, is thrown into the oceans. And a third of the oceans become blood. We're beginning to lose our watering system. Uh, when that happens, a third of the fish will die, a third of the the ships that are on the, in the ocean will be destroyed. In verse 10, we read that a star falls from heaven 
and a third of the rivers and a third of the lakes and a third of the springs will become bitter and the watering system will become so bitter and you read the last part of 11 that men will die because of the bitterness of the water. That is a huge judgment. We no longer could do that. Verse 12 talks about a third of the moon and the sun and the stars. The fifth angel in verse, chapter 9, verse 1, oh my goodness, they will unleash the locusts. Millions and millions of locusts will be unleashed. And the Bible says they will have a tongue like a scorpion. And their main mission on this earth is to torment every person who does not have the seal of God on their forehead. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Every person who receives the mark of the beast during the tribulation time, millions of locusts with the tails of a scorpion, and their one main purpose on earth is not to eat the grass, not eat the trees, not destroy the vegetation. The Bible says for five months they will torment every unbeliever on the face of the earth. And the Bible says they will cry out for death. They will want to die because their pain is so great. And the Bible says death does not come to them. They will be tormented for five months. And then their time will be over. Mm. The sixth trumpet we read about in, in verse 15. Uh, four angels will be released upon the earth. With an army of 200 million other little demons, if you would. And a, and a third, no, a fourth, a third of mankind will be killed in verse 15. Wow. And it says in verse, 19, verse 20 and 21, after all of these trumpet sounds with the sky and the bitterness and the locusts and the death and the blood and all that kind of stuff that's going on, it says what in verse 19? The rest of mankind who were killed did not repent of their works. Verse 20 says, they did not repent of what they were doing. As God brings circumstances and, and plagues and all that kind of stuff into their lives, their hearts are so hardened that they do not repent. I suggest to you today, sometimes people are like that today. Did you know that? We might not be experiencing the, the travels of, temp, of tribulation. But as we preach the word and you're exposed to the word and we're exposed to the gospel, and I've said that from this pulpit many times, that as people harden their hearts and they re refuse to repent because they think they want to live their life how they want to. People today do that. People in tribulation would do that. They refuse to repent. And as God brings circumstances into your life and as circumstances into the lives of those folks that are in the tribulation, God is doing that in order for us to do one thing, and that is to look up to Him. Look up to Him is what He wants. He brings those things into your life, into my life, and what He said, hey, look up. I am God. I am here. And yet those folks refuse to repent. The last judgment I want to look at real quickly, I promise, is in 16, Revelation 16. These will be taking place during the last three and a half years of the tribulation. They're known as the bold judgments. The bold judgments. 
as we look at this uh, chapter 16 and in verse 2 we see that that the bowl of wrath is poured upon those who are who have chosen the mark of the beast and the Bible says there will be malignant sores on these people cancerous sores will be placed on every person who has been unredeemed from the father the second angel uh, pours out his bowl and it's like blood and every living creature on in the oceans and the lakes and the springs will be killed can you imagine the smell the stench that permeates through that because every fish has now been dead uh, in, in verse 4 we see the angel pours his wrath out on the rivers and the springs and they become like blood you want blood God says I'll give you blood and at that point of the tribulation there will be no more water There'll be nothing to drink. There'll be nothing to, to satisfy, if you would, that soul, that thirst for the soul. And then on top of that, verse 8 <laughs> talks about the sun. And he pours his wrath out upon the sun, and it will scorch the men who are living. You know, you think 106 is hot. 156 is really hot. I don't know what the number will be, but the Bible says you have no water to drink, and yet the sun just beats down and scorches those of the unredeemed. How unpleasant that must be. And then in verse 9 it says, at the end of the verse 9 it says, and they still would not repent. Still would not repent. In verse 10, we see the angel pours his wrath, and it says, on the throne of the beast, the throne of Satan, and his kingdom is darkened. It will be dark at the last part of that. And it says that, and you'll notice there how miserable people were. And it says they gnawed their tongue because of the pain. They gnawed their tongue because of the pain and discomfort that they have. The great tribulation is going to be awful. We read about the sixth angel. And it, it doesn't seem so bad. It says they're going to dry up the, the water so that uh, paving the way for the armies from the east to come to fight Jerusalem. That is beginning of the battle of Armageddon, the beginning of the end, if you would, where God dries up what needs to be dried up, and he, and he calls the armies of the world to come there to make war with Israel. Battle of Armageddon. And then the last bowl of wrath, and then I'll be through, and then we'll come up with something positive. And it's the last one he says, and in verse 18, he said there's going to be a great, another great earthquake, the kind that's never, ever been seen before. When the earth shakes violently, I would imagine every building that's standing at that point has now been crushed. Every road has now been torn up. Everything that's going to be there with this violent shaking of the world. God's saying, hey, I'm still in control. And then we read about the great city in 19. Jerusalem will be split into three parts. In, the, in that great city, Babylon, uh, God will pour out their wrath upon them. And then it says every island and every mountain will be gone. They will disappear. They will no longer be in their spots. Wow. And then the last of the judgments in 21. It says huge hailstones up to a hundred pounds each came down from heaven. I can't imagine. 
And the Bible says the punishment was extreme and very severe. God is pouring his wrath out on these people. What a horrible, horrible time. You know, there's not a, a word big enough that I can come up with to tell you how absolutely awful tribulation will be. And if you read those straight from God's word, that's what's going to happen if you're in the tribulation. And, and the longer you survive the tribulation, the more of these you're going to see. But you know, we, we serve an awesome God. And if I just left the message there, that would be completely wrong. If I just left the message at the tribulation, that wouldn't be right. Because see, God's more than just judgment. God is a God of love. And in spite of all of that stuff that's going to be happening through that seven-year period, awesome God has made a way for people to be saved. Did you know that? You might not have ever heard that. That God has made a way. That God has loved us so much that he's made a way. Even for those people in the tribulation, he's made a way. So the rest of the message today is going to be about that. God's grace during the tribulation. God loves us so much. He doesn't want anyone to perish. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says it's a great verse. A great verse. It says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards all of you, not wishing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. I mean, do you get that? Do you get that after the rapture, God could have said, I'm done with y'all. Y'all have done messed up. Y'all lived your life. I am absolutely done. I'm not going to do anything with you now. I am condemning every one of you to a sinner's hell, and that's where you're going to be. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He gives every person that is in a tribulation another chance. One more chance. Why? He says, because... I don't want you to perish. I just want you to repent. I just want you to repent. What an awesome God we've got that says that. Oh. Let's turn to Revelation 7. Oh, my goodness. His grace is amazing. <laughs> Guess why we sang about that today? His grace is amazing. You see, the first picture we have of God's grace during this awful, awful, horrendous time, we see in chapter 7. And it's, it's, it text talk, talks about the 144,000. The 144,000. What that 144,000 is, that is... 12,000 people from the 12 tribes of Israel. And God's going to take 12 and 12 and 12 and he's going to put them all together. And he says, here is the biggest evangelistic team I've ever assembled. And their job, their job in the tribulation, they have one job. They're not going to be bivocational. They're not going to be playing sports on the side. They're not going to be doing all this other kind of stuff. Their one job is to proclaim the gospel. That's all they got. Can you imagine? Today we have about 25,000 missionaries. God is sending 144,000 Jewish evangelists 
Charles Spurgeon's, if you would. Billy Graham's, if you would, okay? Apostle Paul kind of folks that can preach the gospel. And they're going to fan out all over this world. And they've got one mission. And that mission is to preach the gospel. To preach repentance. Repeat, re judgment's coming. Accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. All of this happening amongst the hailstones, the earthquakes, the fire, the blood in the water, the fish dying, all that kind of stuff is going on. And yet he said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot you some hope right here. I'm sending 144,000 of my hand-picked evangelists to preach the gospel. <sighs> That's pretty good stuff. During the tribulation, you will see the greatest revival in the history of revival. People believe that during the tribulation time, just for a, a, a few years, if you would, that the gospel will be presented there. So there will be more people saved then than there has been since the cross until right now. More people will be saved. Well, how do you, how do you come up with that, Don? Well, you read verse 9. It says, John is writing, he said, I looked and beheld a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and stung, tongues. And they were standing before the throne of the Lamb. That's the redeemed of the tribulation. And then you go back up to 14, we see those kind of the same words where he says, My Lord, you know, and he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. And they've washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Those are those folks who accept Christ as their Savior. Those 144,000 in the tribulation will all be martyred. When their time is up, God said time's up, they'll all be martyred. And then where do we find them? We find them standing before the throne of Christ with white robes, and a, and a palm branch in their hand which signifies victory. And they'll be there forever and forever praising the Lord. What a ray of hope He gives us. You know, each one of these, the Bible tells us in verse 3, of the 144,000 will receive the, the seal of God on their foreheads. The seal of God, we don't know what that will be, but it is, it is as, if it, as if it is God's protection around them. And they will have this seal and this mark and, and these 144 will be identified as evangelists. And I, and I believe, and I can kind of prove it to you, I think that every Christian who is, born, uh, who is born again in the tribulation, they too will receive a mark on their foreheads. If you will look just real quickly, I promise, in, in chapter 9, verse 4. And, it will, and we can see this, I think, and it's the last part of verse 9. Uh, verse 4, chapter 9. He said, But only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. That leads me to believe that every Christian who accepts Christ during a tribulation, they too will have a mark. Just like the unbelievers will have the mark of the beast on their forehead and on their hand, every Christian will have a mark and a seal of God. What does it look like? I don't know. Bible doesn't say. But they will be identified. Because you see, you see, once the Antichrist shows up, and three and a half years later, and the great tribulation happens, and the seven, the seven bowls of wrath are going to be poured out. During that period of time, 
every person will have to decide whether or not I will follow Christ as Lord and Savior or I will follow the enemy. I will follow the beast. I will follow Satan. Every person. There will be no pretending, no wannabes, no, uh, no straddling the road, if you would. Every person will have to decide. And when you take that mark, the Bible says it is final. It is final. When you take the seal of God upon your forehead, it is final. You're set for eternity. When you take the mark of the beast, there's no rubbing that off. There's no getting rid of that. You can't get rid of that tattoo. It's there forever. And your, and your eternity is set at that point. <sighs> Aren't we glad that we serve an awesome God who has made a way for you and I to be like that? I can't imagine what it would be like to have 144,000 Apostle Pauls out preaching the gospel. And they get to, and they probably be on TV. You know, some of them might not show it, but some of them will. <laughs> Preaching the gospel. And that's all they do. And because of them and others, more people will be saved than ever before. In spite of what's going on, the wars, the deaths, the catastrophes, the chaos, God says, I still got a plan. I still have you hope. Here's a light at the end of your tunnel. Okay? Please take it. Please take it. I don't want you perishing. Please take it. Please repent. Oh. The second picture of God's grace, real quickly, I promise, is Revelation 11. He just doesn't give us 144 to say, hey, there's hope. In Revelation 11, beginning in verse 3, he says, I will grant authority to my witnesses, my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, which is three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth, these are two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Two witnesses. Two supernatural witnesses. Most likely two witnesses from the Old Testament. People believe that, well, maybe Moses is one. Maybe Elijah is one. Maybe Enoch is one because they, you know, they never died. God just took them up. We don't know and it doesn't make any difference who they are. God's sending two witnesses to them. And their job is to proclaim the gospel. The Bible says they'll be wearing sackcloth, a, a sign of mourning, if you would, from the Old Testament. He said they will be prophesying on the goodness of God. They will be performing miracles. They will be witnessing, telling the truth about the gospel. They will unflinchingly and unashamedly tell the gospel truth. And the Bible says they're going to hate him, hate him, hate him. And these two men will stand for a period of time, the Bible says, and the world will absolutely hate them. Why? Because they're speaking truth and they're talking about judgment coming and the world doesn't want to hear that, especially this world in a tribulation time. And they will do their thing, the Bible says, for a while. And they will perform miracles. I mean, fire will come out of their mouths. It says they can shut the skies up and no more and no more rain. They can turn the water into blood. They can bring plagues, the Bible says, whenever they want to. These guys were powerful. But when their time is up, the Bible says that the Antichrist will come and will kill these folks. And these two witnesses, these two great men of God, the Bible says, will lay in the street of Jerusalem for three and a half days. Three and a half days, their body's going to just be there, the Bible says. And the world will see it. TV, YouTube, 
The world will see these three men. And the Bible says there will be celebrations in the street. There will be gifts given to each other because these two men were dead. These two men were tormenting the world, the Bible says. Tormenting them with the truth. And the truth had been spread around the world as these men were doing it. As 144,000 were doing their thing, we've got two godly Old Testament prophets are, are declaring the gospel and speaking the truth with, without any hesitation. And the world will be able to hear the gospel from those and for these two. They'll be without blame because they would have heard the gospel. A third picture real quick of God's amazing grace during this awful, awful time is Revelation 14. Revelation 14. Starting in verse 6, 7, and 8. I just read those. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. An angel flying in mid-heaven. Having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth. He has a gospel to preach to the people on earth as this angel is flying over. And to every nation and tribe and tongue of the people. And he said in a loud voice, Fear God, give him glory, judgment hour is coming, worship him who made heaven and earth. Can you imagine the angel flying over and you're outside and, and he's flying over Arapahoe, Oklahoma? And he's proclaiming with a loud voice, fear God, glorify God. There's an hour coming of judgment. Worship, worship, worship the one who created the heavens and the earth. I think that would get your attention. If you, if you messed up on the 144,000, just really didn't see them, you were in a cave somewhere, or you missed... The two witnesses that were proclaiming the gospel, if you missed all that, you ain't going to miss the angel that's proclaiming with a loud voice. Fear God. Give Him glory. Judgment's coming. Worship the one who created the heavens and the earth. You're not going to miss that one. Man. Isn't that something? I mean, isn't God's grace so outstanding and so amazing? He could have given up on you and I. He could have given up on those folks right there. But he said, no, I'm going to give you another shot. I'm going to send my evangelists so you can hear the gospel. No, I'm going to send a couple of Old Testament prophets who you probably have heard about proclaim the gospel. No, I'm going to send an angel where all the world will be able to hear the gospel. God's grace is amazing. God's grace is amazing during the tribulation God's given you and I a second and a third and a fourth chance, if you would. And why does he do that? He says, because I don't want any of you perishing. I want every one of you to repent. Not rocket science here, folks. Well, we, we, we see the future. We see what's going to happen in the tribulation. How does that relate to you and I? How does that relate to you and I. Well, I'm here to tell you God loves you. I'm here to tell you if you've never been born again, accepted Him as Lord and Savior, you're living proof right now that He's given you another chance. 
If, if you have been in church for the last four Sundays, four Sundays ago we, we talked about an evangelistic kind of a message where we talked about the horribleness of sin and the great gratefulness of God's grace. We talked about that. And we've talked about the judgment seat of Christ. We've talked about the great white throne judgment and, and, and what's going to happen there. And, it, and if you've never been born again, I'm telling you, and if you've been to any one of those services and you showed back up today, that is God giving you a second chance to accept Him as Lord and Savior. I, I can't make it any more plainer than that. He gave these folks in tribulation another shot. And I'm here today to tell you He's going to give you the same other shot to accept Him as Lord and Savior. Who, who needs Jesus? Uh, well, the addict does, yeah. The alcoholic does. The vilest offender, yes, needs Jesus. The criminal on death row, yeah, needs Jesus. As bad as you can get, needs Jesus. But let me tell you something. That young boy and that young girl that's in your family who has reached the age of accountability needs Jesus. That young man and that young wife who are in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s, who are living life, they too need Jesus. They're not doing anything wrong. They need Jesus. That, that, that married couple in their 50s and 60s as they move into middle age, who are really good people, who really are nice and do a lot of great things for everybody else, needs Jesus. That older bunch their 70s and 80s and the 90s who are getting close to the end of their time who've never heard a flea in their life guess what they need Jesus too God is calling every one of us in this building to make a decision the Bible says in Matthew 12 you're either for me Jesus says this not me you're either for me or you're against me. Tribulation time, you're either for me or you're against me. March 7th, 2021, you're either for me or against me. That, that, that ain't no, that's what he says. There ain't nothing in between. So I would urge you today, if you've been born again, you are for him. Yes, great. If you've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, you're against him. No, no, I'm not really. Uh, no. Well, that's not my words. That's Jesus' words. Matthew 12, 30. You're either for me or you're against me. I would urge you to look at 2 Peter 3, 9. Not wishing for any to perish, but all come to repentance. As we begin our invitation time, let's bow our heads. Please, if you would, and close our eyes. The Savior is waiting. Are you for Him? Great. Pray. If you've never accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, now is the time to do that. Don't put it off. Don't let pride put it off. Don't let what people say. I would urge you. God doesn't want to bring discipline he doesn't want to have to bring tribulation. He just wants you to look up. 
and accept his son as Lord and Savior. I'm going to be quiet. Piano will play. I want you to do business with Holy God right now. Hmm.